everybody help me in welcoming Kurt Perham. Um, Kurt, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Just another Thursday in the, the COVID bubble. <laughs> how's um, how's the last couple of weeks been for you? I think you, did you just get back from the, a trip to the mountains? Yeah, well, yeah, with the way our schedule's been working this year, we've been trying to go to the mountains as much as we can. My in-laws have a house in this kind of four-season town called Rangeley, Maine, and there's a mountain there that just reopened called Saddleback that was actually closed for five years. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, it's a cool, like, kind of old-school feeling mountain that's still pretty big. It's like, a, you know, it's like the second largest ski area in Maine. So, it, and they, they're really welcoming of uphill, and there's a Nordic Center right down the road. So, we got season passes this year, and we've been shooting up there every every weekend that we can. And my son and I will day trip up this Sunday and get a, get a day on the ski. So, but you know, we're hanging, like I said, I, th this whole period hasn't really like my day-to-day -day life hasn't changed much other than like the homeschooling of my kids are mostly homeschooling my kids, you know? Yeah. So. yeah. And they, th does everybody um, Nordic and, and uh, uphill ski in the family? Oh yeah. We try and keep them, you know, they, they love to ride the lift. My son will spend like all day in the trees and the bumps. Um, but we, we all have uphill setups. They all have like uh, Nordic setups. Um, my daughters especially think like Nordic and uphill is like really slow and boring. Um, they like to go fast, but um, yeah, I force them out. We may actually go Saturday uh, to another local little area that embraces uphill and uh, do a couple laps. It's supposed to be quite cold on Saturday. So there's nothing better than being in the woods when it's cold. You know, you go uphill, you throw on a puffy and like some thick gloves at the top and you ski down and you do a few laps and you get like, you know, some fun, but also get a little bit of workout. So it's, yeah. uh, yeah. When, when somebody from Maine says it's going to be cold, that has a whole different meaning than like somebody from Washington or Utah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was, we, it's, it's been quite cold, quite windy the last few days. And like, yeah, I was even on my bike and like the wind just bites through you. So it's, uh, you know, we're a hearty group. And I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a lifer. I'm faking it, you know? So I'm, I'm, I just, yeah, I just act the part of the Mainer. <laughs> Uh, I'm not a real leader, so yeah. Now nah, you get out. I think a fair amount. Well, I um, I always like to start out getting to know uh, somebody's sporting background. I know a bit of yours, but um, as an athlete, uh, what's your, what's your where did it begin for you as far as endurance sport? Yeah, it's uh again, it's it's really odd because you know I talk about Maine, but I actually grew up in Southern California, uh, sort of like in the sort of edge of the San Fernando Valley, not far from like San Monica Mountains. Um, I played a little bit of like normal sports, a little bit of soccer, a little bit of baseball, a little bit of football. Um, but really, I mean, I grew up, I surfed a fair bit and body surfed a fair bit. Um, but for me, like the love affair with two wheels started early. Um, both my mom and dad rode dirt bikes. Um, so I mean, I had a dirt bike by the time I was like three or four years old and, uh, we would go to the desert and go ride. And then, uh, I started racing BMX when I was like, maybe six or something like that and i raced that pretty hot and heavy for a few years um and then like most other kids you kind of get to like the early teens and you find other interests i was still into like surfing a lot but i you, you know i i kind of like foregone other team sports and then i tried um some cross-country running like one year in high school and i was like oh you know i was not great at it um but i kind of liked the group of kids and that sort of sparked it for me and then um but then the real spark came like in the late eighties when the mountain bike boom was happening and being in Southern California during the mountain bike boom, I mean, we had like, you know, they always always talking Marin County being like the first place. And I believe that, but like down where I was, we had like some events that were like 
world-renowned events and i had all these rock trails in the san Monica mountains that i had access to and um so i got like a mountain bike and like senior in high school and started ripping around the woods and, and someone was like yeah we you can race these things you know and that kind of at the time you know i sound like this old curmudgeon but like in the late 80s early 90s there was like a pretty big mountain bike race every single weekend from you know march till october in california southern california you know and that was that was the kind of spark you know and and uh you know, I, I've always had a little trouble maybe with focus, you know, um, on one sport. So I dabbled, like th there was like a duathlon series down at Camp Pendleton. I would go down there and jump uh, in that in the early nineties. Um, you know, we swam a little bit and again, kind of probably even like you, like surfing kind of check the box of like, I can swim, like, because you're comfortable in the water, you think you can like swim, but, and there was some events like Santa Barbara triathlon and, um, you know, a bunch of like famous early tries there that I, I would literally jump into like once a year, I'd just be like, Oh, I got a surfing wetsuit and a road bike and a pair of running shoes. And, you know, and, and off I went, but yeah, that, that kind of was a spark. And then it's like, you know, the road is, is crazy, you know, from Colorado to Arizona to the East coast. But yeah, it's like, it goes back a long ways. And it's, it's, it's at this point, it's been a constant, you know, I use this phrase with you often that like, I think I realized there in like the late eighties that I find comfort in discomfort you know, like I feel better with that little dose every day, whether it's, you know, a three mile jog or a six hour schema or mountain bike or, you know, whatever. And that's, yeah, it's, it's always been there, you know, so. And you lived, you've lived some interesting places too. I mean, we've, we've talked in the past about um, the history of endurance sport and, and those are those, those days that you're talking about with mountain bike racing. I mean, that there's always this undulation of, of, you know, there's funding and energy and inertia. And so people show up and there's this great um, community that's always there and ready to race. And oh. that, that sounds like that happened in San Diego, but you've also followed that or even created that in other places. Um, you spent some time in, in Boulder and Tucson, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And back to your point, like back in the day, you know, mountain bike races, you used to have to mail in a sleet sheet, you know, like a standard form and the races would fill up. And like, if you didn't, like if you, if you didn't do that, like in the first day or so that that window opened, you could get blocked out. I remember going to Norba nationals in big bear with 150 rider limits per class. So like, you know, expert 20 to 24, 25, 29, 150 riders, each class completely full, you know, and now like you watch nationals for mountain biking and there'll be like 23 guys in the 25 to 29 class, you know, and it's yeah. like, so I mean, it's, it's making a comeback and there's other things, but but yeah, so I was, I lived through that. And I remember those days, man, in, in the mid nineties, I flew to every single Norman national, you know, I would go to like Georgia, uh, Mount Snow, Vermont, Big Bear, Mammoth. But, um, but yeah, so after Cali, I went to Boulder uh, after school for like, you know, I was kind of a little rudderless. I wanted to race my bike and I heard of this place. I went there. Um, I literally just packed my Ford Ranger, um, <laughs> everything fit in the back of it <laughs> and uh, drove to Boulder, got a, uh, you know, local newspaper and went to a payphone and started calling people. And I, the funny thing is the house I found had um, a guy who was also a, a bike racer, a guy who was a home brewer. And then this, uh, a female that lived there that was like a big time skier. And like, it was just like this quintessential Boulder house. Like it, and the guy who was a home brewer was a rock climber. So it was like <laughs> a snapshot of like the Boulder like environment. And I lived there for like six years, I guess. Um, five years, yeah, about five years, almost six years. And then while I was there, I met my future wife. Um, she got into grad school at University of Arizona. She moved down like, uh, you know, in advance. And I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But I also knew that like, I really liked her and I didn't think long distance could work, you know, for, 
I didn't think she was coming back to Boulder. And so I moved to Tucson for a few years. Um, I actually took some classes there, some like sort of um, graduate level classes and stuff like that. Just I was like, yeah, if we're going to be here for a while, I might as well kill some time. I was still racing my bike and doing some triathlon and stuff. And then her program got switched um, and she transferred, uh, sort of transferred, reapplied to a different program at Harvard. And then we moved to Harvard, to Boston and we lived six years, five years, five years five or six years in like literally downtown Harvard square, like a 450 square foot apartment, <laughs> um, yeah, right. for, which was fun, but it was like, you know, I wouldn't want to do it now. <laughs> and she finally finished grad school and uh, she got a job offer in sort of coastal Maine and off we went. So yeah, I mean, there's like sport and then there's like me following my wife, you know, it's like, <laughs> this, like and, and, but luckily like the beauty of sport is that you just ingrained in the community wherever you go right like you yeah. seek out the runners and the bikers and the and like within like you can go to almost any place and have like a small group of friends in you know 15 days you know yeah. you just like find people on a ride and now the internet's probably even easier but um but yeah that's kind of my my timeline of of locations so yeah. and and uh and the time in boulder what was um at that time it was really really committed to uh racing purely racing at that time or was it just kind of checking it out or uh what was going on in boulder yeah i mean i was trying to race i want to you know get to a pretty high level racing mountain bikes and i look back and i think like about a lot of mistakes i made and i think about that as a coach all the time and also like i think while i was there i had the realization i probably didn't have like that level of talent you know because first of all when you move to a place like boulder and you think you're like a hot shit and then you go in the first group ride you get dropped and you're like oh geez you know the first group ride we're on like half of like the U S postal service team was there. Like Chucky belly Peck was there. Um, Cam white off. I don't remember, remember him. Like he was long course try guy there. He had like a bigger dude. He was there. I mean, you know, like you go to the grocery store and like Dave Scott's in front of you, Davis Finney's in front of you, you know, uh, uh, you know, you, I mean, so, um, but I also learned a lot too about like high level athletics and, and like, I, I, I became friends with a lot of those people. I mean, multiple Olympians and national champions. I realized like, they're just normal dudes or gals and, but they just have, you know, a little bit better under the hood and they do things really well, you know, but on a Sunday, they'll have a beer, you know, they'll go have a burger. And, and like, they're not like, when I moved, I thought like everyone there was like this like monk and, you know, they live like, you know, but I also, you know, when they train hard, it's six hours on the bike when they're not, it's like a couple of beers on a Friday night, especially in, you know, February when the racing season's a few months off or definitely, you know, definitely in the fall, you know? Um, so, um, yeah, I, I kind of did that. And I, I met a lot of people. I picked a lot of people's brains, some sort of people who are coaching at the higher level, some people who are athletes at the higher level. And then I, um, yeah, I mean, I tell my wife this all the time. I don't know if I've made two mistakes and mistake. One is I didn't buy a house when I was there. I should have like literally spent every penny. I was working part-time. Um, I should have spent every penny to try and buy a house because now they would be worth triple what I bought it for quadruple what I bought it for probably. Um, but I also probably would not have ever left if it wasn't for my wife moving away. And I, I think it's, you know, obviously like you can't, hindsight's always twenty twenty, And um, we'll go back there for a few days after Breck Epic this year. But I mean, I could literally land on in D, at DIA right now with a, a bike and a pack and call one of 30 people and they can pick me up in 45 minutes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, I have a core group of friends still that I talk to all the time, you know? Right. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it was a good time. I'm, you know, I missed the kind of boom that the tech boom happened just a few years after I left, you know, with, with like, you know, Google and IBM and these, these, you know, huge tech money going in there. So. Yeah. You, you mentioned something that you've said to me before and, and I've heard you say to others, 
Um, and that's always kind of, you coach the person first and the athlete second. And that's kind of interesting to hear you talk about these people at the Olympic, you know, they're Olympians, but you're, you know, you're, um, you're brushing shoulders with them at the grocery store and going on training rides. And, uh, yeah, it's always kind of refreshing to hear, um, uh, you know, in, in that's how it is in, in real life as well. Yep. <laughs> you know, they're either yep. a good person or a bad person and they happen to be really talented. Right. Like, but they're still, yep. I think after my time there, I, I definitely no longer will put people like on this. I mean, athletes make mistakes with where they're like, it's a moral decision. Yeah. Uh, I have friends, I know multiple friends there who were popped for doping, you know, and I, um, you know, I know, you know, them friends who had made maybe poor other judgments in their life, but they're still a human being, right? They just have a VO2 max of, you know, 85 ml kg instead of 55, you yeah. know, or whatever. Minor. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and then at some point there began, there began a, uh, not, a, not really a shift. I, 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 what I get from you is that it was really, really intentional, your desire to guide athletes. Um, what was that process for you as far as, um, both, you know, yourself as an elite athlete and then, you know, what, what, what's that story? Um, yeah, I, I call myself sub elite, but, uh, elite, elite trending elite, you know, I mean, I got to like a pretty high level and, and had a few okay years here or there, but yeah, I mean, it was more of just me being a, a student of the sport. And like, I've used this analogy with you all the time. And I, I use it all the time with a lot of people is that like my, my knowledge is very narrow, you know, it's five meters wide, but it's 200 meters deep, you know, and like what I know, I know a lot about, and I'm like a student of, and the stick that the stuff that sticks in my brain is stuff that I really want to stick in my brain, whether it's equipment wise, whether it's, you know, training wise, whether it's uh, technology wise about training. And yeah, in the late nineties, like, um, I had a friend who started asking me to like help him with some training plans, you know, back then it was like typewriter, you know, or whatever, like, you know, printed out on a piece of paper in a word document or whatever. And, um, and, you know, I wasn't really getting paid. Um, and then around that time, you know, the coaching business was starting to, to, to happen. You know, I had friends, I had my friend, Jim Lehman was working for, it was like, employee number two at CTS or something like that. And, you know, these businesses are starting to pop up. Um, and I had had some good coaches, you know, on and off, like through the years, a, a, a guy in Southern California, I had some people help me in Boulder. Um, and more importantly, it was just hanging out with like a lot of, you know, like if you're having beer and you're talking about like what ride you're going to do tomorrow, you know, you start to figure out like what high level athletes do, whether it's like from, you know, from a volume standpoint and then like, what I would call like real world periodization. Right. And it's based around like racing schedules. It's race based around their atmospheric environment. You know, me living in Maine can do something totally different than what someone can at Tucson, Arizona in February, you know? And so, um, and yeah, and I just, I, I kind of just took it all in and I had some early sort of coach mentors. Maybe they even know they're mentors, but I would ask them a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, and I was also on the early lines of like some of that technology, like the first power meters that people could get. I mean, I think I got my first power meter in like May of 1998 or something like that. And like, um, you know, at the time we had no clue what we were even doing with it. It was just like this device that was on your handlebar, you know? Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, and then that, the rest is kind of history. I kind of like was half-assing that for a couple of years and I, I started to turn down some athletes and I was like, why am I doing that? You know, like I'd rather coach athletes than, you know, have a, guest job somewhere so that was that was the end and then it's just kind of yeah 20 something years on you know it's still going so yeah and that that 200 meters deep you know i i um I, I, a really simple equation that i always loop back to is just like and we can use the word growth or fitness or whatever we want to interject there but it's kind of like 
fitness or growth is basically just stress plus rest. And you have yeah. this really, and, and that's where I, 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 I kind of want to tee it up for you to um, unpack just a couple of things about, you know, you'll, you'll, you, you will use commonly words like um, layers and absorption and these other words that I think, uh, uh, again, it's like, yeah, it's just a word that makes sense to somebody if they're trying to take a rest day, but I feel like, you know, it at a much more scientific level, but <laughs> For, for somebody for somebody who might be might be listening I think it, to, to simplify it and a little bit of your uh, philosophy per se um, based on that kind of real simple equation of like you know how do we get stronger you know like it's it's there's kind of there's stress and then there's rest and then ultimately there's there's performance or growth or yeah. you know fitness um, yeah what uh, un, unpack maybe just this I mean what does stress mean in your mind because we'll talk at length about um, TSS TSS right <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah for sure I mean it's I mean obviously like there's some key words you the first one being like individuality right and there's that that's really important um because people uh you know I mean I'm a 50 year old guy now I train totally different than what I did as a 23 year old mountain bike racer you know I'm still the same guy but it's, it, I just have to adjust that but yeah I mean it's it's we know that you like you put in a certain amount of training dose and that dose can come in lots of formats right I always say now like anyone living in a winter based environment, you can be a pure cyclist living in the town I live in, but you better do be a multi-sporter, right? You better be okay going for a cross-country ski or snowshoe run because cardiovascularly, like you're still getting that stress and you're going to get those pathways that come along with it, right? Like mitochondrial density and the capillary bedding and the aerobic enzyme production and all that only, you know, scientific stuff. But ultimately like you don't have to be super specific, you know, in January 15th, if your key race is August 15th and you live in, coastal Maine, right? Like go do something else. And then where the coach comes in there is like monitoring that. And like, you know, there's some science you see like these really beautiful, like spreadsheets of like three weeks up, one week down. That looks great on paper, but it really hardly ever works because, you know, in week two, you rolled your ankle or week two, your kid got sick and you had to take four days off. And, you know, so like now with modern like um, technology, we can track, you know, trusting, track things like TSS and, and, and stuff and be a little bit more like reactive with it and, and, and sort of pragmatic, if you were to say, Hey, like, man, it's, we're in the third week, but like, you seem kind of in the hole and I know work has been super stressful. Why don't we just pull back for three days? We don't need to take a week off. We'll just go three days light here, let everything kind of swing positive, And then we can go back to full steam. And I mean, that's a large part of my job. 90% of the time is just like looking at those like really broad metrics, talking and listening to people where they're saying like, work is really stressful right now, or my kid's really sick, or there's a freaking global pandemic, <laughs> you know, like people are just stressed uh, across the board. Yeah. And then, and then you, um, you make an adjustment, but, but yeah, I mean, so ultimately, like, I, I think words are really powerful from a coach. So there's certain words, like I never use, like, I hardly ever use the word hard. Like, I don't give any hard workouts, because I don't know about most people. I, I don't like hard. <laughs> I, mean, I like, so I use the word strong very often that then, probably becomes hard. You know, if you go strong, if you do three times, 15 minutes strong, three times, 40 minutes strong, whatever, it's going to get hard, but I don't need to tell you it's going to be hard. Cause I know it will get hard. Um, and then, um, you know, like, like thinking about, um, you know, like what workouts people like to do, right? Like a little softball workout here or there, whether, you know, if you're an ex swimmer and you go swim 40 times a hundred on a something or other, that makes you, that feels like you've won the workout. That's actually a phrase I stole from the U S ski team. They use many times like win the workout, right? If it's 45 minutes at 0.60 intensity factor and you ride an hour at 0.75, 
you kind of lost the workout. Like the workout was programmed there for a reason. And that's something like I try to stay on people about is like, you know, like the plan is, is there and it's kind of set. There's a little leeway and we can be reactive, especially if we're communicating really well, but ultimately like, you know, don't compromise certain days. And, and, and you and I talk about this a lot. Like if you're gonna make a hard day, if you're gonna make any day bigger or more, make it on the hard days, like get, get really tired of the hard days. And then the easy days are like, you know, you never compromise an easy day in my opinion. Like that is the quickest way to being burnt out, you know, overreached. Um, I'm going to use the phrase overtrain too much in my world. That's kind of like a clinical situation, you know, but definitely overreach and flat, you know, and like, yeah. uh, so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of like how I, I think about things on a macro level is, is just assessing the athlete and looking at like, what they have for tools, looking at like what they do. Um, you know, I have people who travel a lot. I have people who have multiple young kids. I have people who, who are on the front line of COVID right now. I mean, they work in medicine or pharmaceuticals and they're like, you know, they're, they're managing vaccines. So um, yeah, it's, it's um, I, I, there's very few books that I've read that like really nail, like, here's your training plan because training plan is like the first thing that I would want to see from a book that talks about training plan is actually the first chapter being all on like, scenario development like this is the athlete this is his you know this is his list of strengths this is like of weaknesses this is his target events this is available time at this and then they can build out something really cool but a lot of times you know you read like these quote-unquote bibles and they're like you know they look really they've got awesome charts they look beautiful except i don't know if i've ever seen a single person actually pull off that whole scenario because it right. there's a ridge thrown in somewhere you know so yeah yeah that individuality is 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 really fascinating i love what you said about strong versus hard i mean i think there's there's like uh i've been using this word pusher or trier right there's like people who love to train or they're a trier and yeah you, damn right it's gonna get hard if you're going strong i, I love I, I love that i I, also think I i really don't like the word like a recovery workout because i tell people like you recover from the flu or you recover from covid19 yeah I like the word like adaptation workout you know because i'm trying yeah. to adapt something i'm trying to like take in this dose and have this like return nearer to homeostasis and you know like if i broke my leg i'd recover from that you know, I wouldn't adapt from that. I would have had an injury and I would recover from it. So yeah, these are like, I, I'm really quite careful when I look at like either writing workouts or talking with athletes, like how I am, um, how I use certain phrases and terms, because I'm, I'm trying to always just elicit this positivity and then like preparation moving forward, you know? And, um, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't like hard. I do a yeah. lot of strong workouts. But not being a cheerleader too. Like you're not, I mean, like by saying it's going to be strong, you're not like rah, rah, you can do it. It's like, no, I'm right. strong is strong, you know? Yeah. So it, it's a, a, you know, go, go do the work, which I absolutely love. Um, uh, and, and, and yeah. And to the, to the tune also of uh, the individuality, I, I, what comes to mind is as a physio, I'll get patients who come in and they want to get better and they're a runner. And I know you coach these people or you have these people in your life who they're just a runner, like all they want to do is run and if you take that away from them there's that like i don't want to run in the pool i do not want to go on the elliptical mm. i don't want to strength train because it's going to make me get bigger uh mm. you know so on on i mean uh help 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 me understand what what to do in that situ in situation you're not really helping me hopefully you're helping somebody out there who's like really wants to run a hundred mile or, or a 50k or even a marathon on the road. And, and it's like, yeah, but my Achilles is just blown up and it's not getting better. You know? Yeah. It's like, I mean, if they're, if they're like, you know, if they're sunshine based, like they're in Phoenix, Arizona or Tucson, Arizona, it's tough because the cross train, there's really no need to cross train. But I always just like point back to like what, I mean, you know, like 
liquid Killian does, right? Barely runs all winter. Like uh, Francois, there's a home, what's his name? The French guy, the Solomon guy who's won um, uh, Western States and like yeah. has FPTs. I mean, he's, he's done like the Pyramenta. He's done, and I'm, I'm not pushing Schemo here, but I'm basically pushing like, I mean, look at Gary Robbins. I mean, the guy is like one of the best ultra runners around and like lives up in DC. The guy does huge touring days. So, yeah, I mean, this could probably be the more of a selling point of that thing of like, no one truly is or should be purely a single sport athlete, unless you're like at the tippy top, right? Like you're that like, you know, you're a 1500 yeah. meter world record holder or whatever. But for most of the average people, like, you know, it's called overuse injuries for a reason, you know, because it's overused. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I would push them hard to like search out other things. I mean, if they're a pure road runner, obviously the first thing is get them on the trails. If they're a trail runner, maybe you, you know, you have to look at like uh, some of the, the pounding and stuff from, from, from the descending and stuff and maybe get them off of the trails so a little bit here or there, uh, maybe some treadmill sessions to work on some foot speed and, uh, soft, you know, soft impact work, but, but ultimately, yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough. I mean, that I, I wasn't sure if it brought up, but everyone that contacts me is always like, I'm a type A, I, I'm type A. And I'm like, in 20 something years of coaching, I've never not coached a type A. Like, <laughs> like come on. Like, so that's actually like, that's actually makes it rough sometimes. Right. Because they're like very bullheaded and they're like, you know, they're goal oriented and um, yeah, it's hard. And, and um, it's funny. I'm not, I'm, I still love this job and I love athletes, but every once in a while, like I have this sort of policy of like telling someone four or five times and I'm like, I'm dealing with an adult here. You know, like if you're not going to listen to me, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I've told you five times. Like, and then when I just like kind of wipe my hands and move on because yeah. you know, like they'll lead a horse and make them drink type thing, you know? So. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I love it. We, uh, uh, before we talk about like, uh, I think layers and absorption and that stuff, uh, uh, strength training. And I actually, I want to, I want to bird walk on this one a little bit because you have young athletes in your house and, uh, I could get up on a really tall soapbox and talk about early specialization in sport from a physio perspective. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to, I'll let you do that if you want to. Um, but, or we could just talk about strength training and, and should it exist for, you know, the example of this roadrunner who's chronically injured, for example, just to play that one out. Um, yeah. Like where does where does the word durability and strength training like people are going to argue this for years to come? But where do what what is your take on strength training? Where does it fit in? Yeah, I mean it's a little bit of a slider. You know, obviously as you get older, you know, we already know it helps a lot there. But I mean, I would say right from the get go. I mean, I would love to see high school cross country runners in, integrating more because the problem is is again I'm gonna sound like an old man here we live in this like complete different sort of spectrum our training and then our normal life our normal life in 2021 is very sedentary even for you know like i i trained let's say uh 100 minutes today so that means for 22 hours and 20 minutes or whatever i basically sit on my duff you yeah. know and i do nothing and so um so yeah i mean i i use like like there's this like being very fit and very athletic, like in my opinion, like some of the most athletic athletes are like soccer midfielder, lacrosse midfielder, maybe like a forward or any like a position player in hockey. Um, uh, you know, maybe like an enduro mountain bike racer. Um, but you know, being able to run like 5k at a moderate pace means you're pretty fit, but you're actually not that athletic. You know, you're not changing directions. You're not absorbing something. You're not catching something, throwing something. So, I mean, yeah, and that could be a this that could be a really long subject, I and mean, we could literally talk about that forever. But I mean, my bottom line is it should be year round. It should be 
short and focused two to three times a week, like in the non-competition season, one to one and a half times a week, like in most of the race season. And then like, even myself, like on a race week, I'm not going to go do, you know, heavy split squats and deadlifts, but I'm going to do a lot of movement because now under strength, like is this huge, I mean, you see it like this huge umbrella of like movement prep, breathing, prehab. I mean, there's, you know, it's not like, you know, it's not like the four or five big moves of like squat, deadlift, press, bench press, and pull up or something, you know, like it's a lot more encompassing than that. And like, I, I put it all under that umbrella of like strength or, you know, uh, soft tissue prep or whatever you want to call it, you know, durability, you know, um, because ultimately I wanted to be able to do these sports at 60 and 70 and, you know, whatever. And if I'm going to do that, you know, the joke I always use with people when they throw, you know, any, um, uh, sort of concern, I'm like, tell me the last time you were too strong. Just tell me, like, tell me that one time you were, and like, no one's ever said it like, oh man, I was just too strong. I like, you know, it just, it doesn't happen, you know? So it's, um, yeah, in my world, it's important. And luckily I've got really good buy-in from sort of like 90, 95% of my athletes, you know, and, um, a few of them skip it a little too much, you know, but, um, but I'm still working on it. So, um, let's talk about Nordic a little bit, just to dovetail this whole conversation, because I think they have been a population in my mind and I don't know near yeah. as much about Nordic skiing as you do, but, um, it is a population that really, I think from the outset, you've seen the, uh, the, the, um, in, uh, endurance pop culture, uh, uphill athlete has gained some really strong yeah. and it's very simple concepts that have, that have been, um, yeah. uh, 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 presented in a very digestible format, which is, I think, awesome. Um, what, what is it about the Nordic culture that has done, and I, and I guess I'm assuming that you agree with this, um, but they, I feel like they've done it really well as far as this, it's in sync with what you're talking about, strength training and periodization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, I think that, I think the one beauty of Nordic is they have this really short focus season, so they can really manage the periodization well around that, right? Like they're not racing for 10 months. They're racing from like you know, realistically, like December, January, February, or into early March, it's kind of like a three and three quarter month season. So like the periodization model can be really robust because you can literally just get like this bathtub of fitness and then just empty that bathtub over a three month period. Guys like you guys, like me, guys, a lot of people, they start racing like yeah, in March or April, and they may go to April, November or December, you know? And so like the model makes it much trickier there, um, to, to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like there's been a ton of studies, especially like, uh, uh, Dan Heil up at Montana state on like upper body strength relative to Nordic performance. And like, you know, there's a reason like kick and Randall can do 10 pull-ups with a 45 pound plate from her waist, you know, because, you know, so, so like in the endurance realm, if you ask me who are the most athletic, it's no doubt in Nordic skiers, right. Cause their sport requires like dynamic balance, full body strength, massive cardiovascular fitness. Um, and, um, and again, another sport where like, you can really focus on this really small block of racing and then just, just like let it all out over three months. You know, they come home from Europe or the end of their season or wherever they're racing and they're just like a shell of themselves. You know, they're, they're just, you know, they're like lay on the couch for three weeks, not doing anything because they've just spent so much physical and emotional energy on racing that they, you know, they, they need to rest until, you know, uh, April 15th or May 1st. So is that, uh, the, is that the better way to do it though? I guess is kind of the question that, that immediately comes to my mind for longevity in the sport, right? You like filling this big tub. So we look at maybe Daytona, for example, with, you know, shift it back to triathlon. Yeah. Talk about, I think it was uh, Sam Long or somebody was talking about, yeah, it was just like out building mitochondria and having a good time and getting crazy strong because the heart knows no different. Right. And then we had some real estate to turn that dial up and boom, like 
get the hell out of the way. <laughs> so, so does it, I, I guess the question there, I have to ask myself and, and you as a, as a, as a coach is like, would people be better served if longevity is the goal to race in a more condensed, you know, time frame? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I saw, you know, there's a bunch of stuff being thrown around after that guys who were like, oh, I just rode my gravel bike and trail run and did strength all until eight weeks from Daytona and I got fourth. You know, I think that was Sam Appleton that said that. And um, there was a lot of that banter for sure. But I mean, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an honest guy and it really comes down to money, right? Race promoters. I mean, Ironman wants to put on races starting and, you know, you could, again, if you had a private jet, you probably could race an Ironman event 47, 50 weeks out of the year, you know, like there's yeah. probably an event, you know, assuming a non COVID year, you know, so it does, it gets hard. I mean, like in a perfect world. Yeah. If I had like a great young athlete and you could talk him into like this focused little, like a double peak type season, you know, like a early or late spring, early summer peak, and then a, a mid season rest block. And then a late season, that would be fantastic. But we, you know, you know, we're all type A's. Right. And so we all like, Ooh, Oh, new event here. You know, and I'm, I'm guilty as anyone, right? Like there've been years where I've, you know, I raced like a full summer season. And, uh, I mean, one year I raced 33 cyclocross races, you know, like it's, <laughs> that was after a summer season, you know, so I came home and I was like, I don't think my, I don't think I came, I went to Europe. I don't think my bikes even got unpacked for like a month and they just sat in the back. I was like, I'm not looking at those things, you know? So it's, um, yeah, it is. I mean, that, I mean, that's high performance sports, a weird way, because like, if you look at some of those early books, especially like the, the Eastern block books on it, the periodization looks so beautiful because they just peaked for like one or two things, world championships and Olympics. It was quite easy, you know, and like, especially in like, especially in something like Olympic weightlifting, because plates don't lie, bars don't lie. Right. So you can like, you mean deloading and loading is so simple sometimes, right? Like here's this, you know, this is, I can snatch up to a hundred, I'll use a round number, you know, build to a hundred kilos over this date and unload and only up do up to 70 kilos the, for, for six days after that. And like, I mean, that it's just simple math that can like be punched into an Excel spreadsheet. Endurance sports, especially multi-sports, you know, I, I, I still have not read a great like multi-sport coaching book because it's just too many series of like if-thens, right? Like if you read a book and it's got three big swims a week, but you were a collegiate swimmer and you're going to win the swim no matter what, you're short-chained, like go right and run. You don't need to swim three days. We swim, swim once a week. You know, like swim for an hour and still win the swim every single race. You know, but um, so yeah, it's uh, it is it's it's a tricky scenario, and and uh, even my job has changed. I feel like in the winter it used to be quite quiet for me, and now it's like people are doing stuff. Like I have people, you know, this year I've had multiple people get uh, uh, ski mountaineering setups. I've had multiple people try Nordic skiing, snowshoe running. So um, you know, you're like changing schedules, you're adjusting. You know, like it's. I, I use this term. It's like reactionary periodization, you know, like what's on the horizon and like what I need to change and where's my fitness. Yeah. And then you like adjust a few things and off you go. So. Yeah. 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 And to, to close a loop on the strength training piece, I think this is something that you'd said about, I think it was a female Nordic skier from Europe um, uh, kind of comparative to some uh, really specialized training that goes on in the U S and it was like the European really strong uh, uh, Nordic ski racer. It's like, yeah, she can like buck hay and work a full day of labor and there's no injury going on. And then, right. I mean, so to that, to the tune of like that lateral movement durability piece, I think it's, uh, yeah. Just, uh, yeah. If you Google, you can find the longitudinal study on Mir Bjorgen, who's like arguably the greatest, probably one of the greatest female athletes of all time, but probably the greatest female Norse here, you know, and they track her from like, I think she was late teens through when she retired. And you actually see the volume trend down a little bit in her later years the amount of easy training, like below, like that sort of VT1 or AT1 or LT1, whatever you want to call it, that sort of true zone one, 
goes up, the amount of strength training goes up. And then it's like the hard is a hard, right? Like when she did intervals, it was, you know, full gas for a certain amount of time. And, um, you know, and she won, I don't know how many Olympic medals she won, but dozens, you know? And, uh, so yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. And it's, um, it'll be a hotbed. I mean, it's slowly becoming more accepted. You know, 15 years ago, there was like the school, like the coaches that believed in strength training, the coaches that did it. And that was it. You know, now there's more of like, Oh, oh okay. You know, like as long as you don't, you know, that uh, all the fears, right. I don't want to bulk up. I don't want to get hurt. You know, like, um, it'll lose my leg speed, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I've heard them all a million times. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, absor- absorption, well, the rest part of the equation. What, um, how do you pepper that? I mean, we keep using this word like type A or type triple A or pushers, triers, doers, you know, people that have trouble sitting still. What's yeah. the, what's the, uh, and I guess I'm hoping to speak to some folks who um, might be listening and they're, they're, they like to do the work. Like that's not the issue. The, the issue is not uh, putting in, getting up at 5 a.m. and getting to the pool and getting in the water. That's not the problem. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem is going at 110% all the time and, yeah. and, and then hitting these uh, unbeknownst to them because they're just kind of hammerheads just hitting these walls of yeah. then crisis mode and, you know, pulling the ripcord and whether it's injury, whether it's burnout, whether it's relationship, you know, trauma, yeah. um, how, how do you, how do you nurture that? Um, you know, you've been, you've been coaching for a long time. How do you nurture those, uh, <laughs> the doers? <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. I, I, I struggle a bit, you know, again, it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago about coaching adults and telling them and, and programming it. And, you know, um, sometimes using examples, you know, like, um, you know, social media for everything can be negative can also be positive too. When you're like, Hey, look at this, like, so-and-so is in, you know, uh, Bermuda for two weeks sitting on the beach after the race season, or, you know, so-and-so just posted their, their recovery ride to a coffee shop on a Monday. And it was, you know, whatever, you know, like w- when Gustav Eden won Daytona, a lot of people were looking at Strava and like he did multiple trail runs where he'd run like 12, 13 minute miles. You know, this is a guy that got off around like five flat off the bike there. And, you know, so it's like, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's all, you know, like my knowledge maybe like scholastically comes more physiologically, but way more psychological like knowledge is used and i've talked to a lot of really smart people on this guys like bobby mcgee and others about like how to manage it and um yeah i mean you program it and then you reinforce it and um you know when in doubt you pull back a little bit more right like it's always nice to be a little bit too fresh you know very few people are but um and then um um you know the 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 best is like when they actually race well if they race well usually they'll, you'll get buy-in from them, you know, and, and, um, it's, it sometimes can be tough. You know, I do hate to see when people are injured or, or, um, you know, maybe overreaching a bit here or there and you're, you're trying to calm them down and talk them off the cliff a little bit. And it's like, but I mean, I get it right. Like I need to get up and get my little dose every day, but I'm more than content. I mean, there's my morning shakeout jog often is like 10, 10, 10, 15 mile. You know, I'm just like shuffling along, looking at the, the birds and, yeah, and, and like, I have no problem doing that for 20, 25 minutes on a Monday. You know, it's like, it's, it doesn't, you know, and it's taken me some time. I think I lived through that time. You know I mean? I, I, I've had some issues, you know, dealt with like, you know, probably a little bit of like functional overreaching, like in the mid nineties, you know, when you move to Boulder, right. You see everyone training like banshees and being like superhuman. You're like, I got to, I got to up it here. And you're trying like crazy diets. You know I mean? I was vegan for a while. I tried, you know, I tried all this stuff. And you were vegan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was horrible. 
call it crap. Um, We're going to leave that alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, no, I mean, it's like, you got to go and experiment, right? You know? And yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I remember I had like a ribeye and a big ass, like, spinach salad and like 36 hours I, I felt like a rock star you know i was like <laughs> like you know barely able to turn the pedals over to like smashing animals up sunshine canyon or something like that so, uh, yeah uh, okay. <laughs> yeah 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 so enjoying that process though is what i hear you saying you know i think it's a, it's pretty easy to get drawn out of yourself and start you know worrying about yeah. what other people are social, doing. social media makes it hard right like say you're a little behind in your training you see that like your friends your competition is doing you know, five hours with rides and 5,000 yards in the pool and 20 mile runs. You're like, Oh my God. And you know, like that, one of my, another, one of my favorite sayings is like, you can't train a lot until you've trained a lot. You know, and if you're super far behind, you can't just like go, boom, I'm going to just go from training four hours a week to training 16. You know, it's like, you know, that's the quickest way. I mean, you may be able to do it like for one week at a camp or something, but you're not going to do it week after week and then yeah. survive. You know, the body will just break down. So yeah. Yeah, I, to the tune of your morning meditation and your runs. What's uh, what um, you're you're racing? I mean, you obviously you've got a, a busy schedule as as uh, as a dad and with uh, kids at home and that. But you're um, uh, let's not let's not beat around the bush. You're freaking training. So what are you training for? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, I manage it. I mean, I like you said, I have three busy kids and I'm involved in them and. You know, they're all like young athletes playing a lot of team sports and trying other stuff. And, uh, you know, I've had to manage the, the PE division of school for the last, whatever, eight or 10 months, and, which is fun. Like, my kids are pretty open. We have a pretty legit like home gym and a pretty legit uh, pain cave with like, my son has a bike set up on his Zwift account down there and he'll go down there on occasion. And um, so, yeah, there's that. But yeah, I took about like seven or eight years kind of, I called it off, you know, and it was often that I would jump into like one event a year, usually pay the price wicked. I remember I jumped into like a trail 10K like four years ago. It took me to like the following Saturday to be able to even to walk. Cause I, I remember like it was bad when the Garmin said afterwards, like, congrats, your longest run of the year. <laughs> um, so, um, but yeah, like I was in that range where my kids were like very kind media. I was like coaching their sports. They were young, you know, like now, like I have, basically almost three teenagers and they can get up and make their own meal and they can like, you know, they, I, I don't coach as many of their sports, sports anymore, hardly any now. And so, um, yeah, I'll do some mountain events for sure. Um, both on foot and on the bike, definitely a lot more on the bike. I'll do some ultra endurance mountain bike racing. I'll do some mountain bike stage racing. I might jump into an Xterra or something if they actually happen. Um, you know, they're, those are a little, they're a little fishy right now. Um, I'd love to see like some trail multi-sport stuff. I'm doing a ski mountaineering race in a couple of weeks. Um, um, uh, what else? But I mean, like, yeah, it'll be like six, eight events and maybe like some cross. I really love cyclocross and it's like something I've, I've done for a really long time. And the sport sadly has kind of lost a little steam and like around new England, a lot of races that were classic races. I mean, I used to be able to do, you know, I could race 15 races and never be more than 90 minutes from my house sort of or two hours from my house. A lot of those races have gone away. So I'll race a few cross races and then, yeah, rest a bit and hit it hard. I'd love to do like my goal once like the world's back to the normal would be like a big schema event, a la definitely power four in 2022. Um, and then looking at like some Euro event, whether it's like a stage race, like Pyramenta or um, that one I, you and I talked about that uh, Andorra schema event. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. a late, late to life downhill skier. Like I, I snowboarded a little bit growing up. And so 
the downhills scare the crap out of me but oh man oh man we i don't i don't think we we haven't we haven't talked about it enough but like the imposter syndrome that happens for me when i'm like i'm sure i can you know i can try run okay and i can like i'm enjoying myself on the and then we switch to downhill mode and i'm like I just get crazy imposter syndrome. I'm like, I do not belong. <laughs> like, I just, Especially just, where you are. I mean, you're like in the heartland of like that backcountry skiing and ski mountaineering in, in the U.S. You know, I'm sure there are guys that can just rip. You know, yeah. And, There's a lot of Lycra and they can also ski downhill. So, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but you know, it's, it, it is a, it is a, a neat blend of those, that Nordic and trail running community and bike racing. A lot of the, yeah. the folks that we, we, that we ride bikes with are, are, uh, have, have, made the jump in the schemo so yeah uh, there's another one in montana i was just talking on the on the skinner this morning with somebody there's a, a one in montana that sounds pretty pretty rowdy that would be just fun right it's like better than sitting on the bike trainer you know <laughs> art doesn't know any different so and people think that like we're tough you know like going out in the cold or like you know i'll ride my bike i'll ride my mountain bike on the road a fair lot i'll bundle up i mean i mm-hmm. i went out a few days like in the single digits with no wind if it was sunny yeah. And I'd bundle up and I have pogies and people say, Oh, you're tough. I'm like, tough to me is riding like three or four hours on the trainer. Like that's tough. Like that to me takes yeah. like a serious amount of like mental focus and like the, you know, your ass and like, yeah. and just, you know, like, like, so, so, I mean, I guess I don't, maybe I'm dumb, but I don't really consider myself that tough. You know, like I don't, I tell people this, I love winter sports, but I actually hate being cold. Like I, you know, I, that's why I do, you know, Nordic skiing and schemo because you're not really ever cold, you know, anything you're quite warm, you know? So, um, yeah it's uh that's kind of schedule like i don't promote it much i think it's a little bit of like it it opens a door for you as a coach but like it's almost rampant now that like i'm a good athlete so i'll just coach you and it's like that's great and then you start asking some of the hard-hitting questions and they're like oh you know i don't know anything about that you know and it's i'm not saying that they can't be a good coach and they can't provide a good service but you know i use the example of like other sports the guy like a bill belichick right like who's a pretty crappy football player is arguably one of the best coaches in history or yeah. Um, you know, in a lot of sports, like it's usually the people that are like true students. They're like, I'm actually not that good at this sport, but I'm going to study it a lot. So if I ever have to regurgitate it, I can. And, and, and that's me for sure. You know, I don't yeah. like, you know, and I try not to pick too many events where I have like my own athletes at it, because if I'm there, I'm kind of in like racer mode and I don't want to be coach mode too much. Yeah. Um, and people are always be like, Oh, why don't you come do Ironman like class with us? I'm like, because you won't see me for like four days before that. I'm going to be like in my room as a hermit, like eating food and with my feet up, you know, instead, like I'm out, you know, supporting my athletes. So it's uh, it is, it's a fine line. And it's, um, I'm not saying that, you, it's, that it can't be done. It can't be done pretty well. I'm just saying like, I don't promote it too much. It's not like a marketing tool for me, you know? And it's like, I mean, I have good marketing. I have great athletes racing a lot, you know, in a normal year, non-COVID year. So I don't have to like, you know, I don't have to say like, Oh, I, you know, I won my age group or blah, blah. It's like, what do you do you know so yeah. it goes back to like how you put those people like on a pedestal right like the day i cure cancer like i'd be a superhero you know like yeah. me winning a bike race or a triathlon or a running race is like what do you do you know <laughs> i love it i love it this is this is something we and this is a this is a it's a total tangent but motocross i would back to where we be where we began yeah. the conversation about motocross um uh uh i've kind of become a, an armchair i grew up riding you know horses and dirt bikes and stuff too and i it's kind of interesting to watch the development of coaching within motocross um because mm-hmm. i would argue that when we're talking about nordic folks there's a lot of motocross guys that could probably go toe to toe as far as fitness goes with those nordic folks maybe maybe uh, well 
no, that's it. That's my that's my point. I, and I well, was, you know, I've, I've coached a few motocross guys. Well, that's what I want to unpack. Yeah. So I yeah. I'm like, what what do you what do you what do you do with those people? What do they need? Because that's I think that shocks a lot of people. And a lot yeah. of people look at riding a dirt bike and they're like, yeah, yeah, you shred a berm and you hit the double and then you're in the whoops and like, yeah, what's yeah. the deal? You have a throttle. Like, no bullshit. It is hard. So, yeah. um, and this is I don't know if this is relevant to anything we're talking about, but I'm kind of curious. Like, what you- yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I you know, probably don't want to spend the whole thing about, but I, I that was probably my first true love. You know, both my parents rode, my dad raced, um, I raced a little bit growing up, and you know, back then I didn't really know much about. It. But then I started to learn about it um, to some other coach friends who were guiding pros, and then I, I raced a little bit of mountain bikes with this guy named Alden Baker, who now has become like oh, yeah. the our uh, trainer. Of yeah. all Alden was a really good uh, pro mountain biker, pretty pretty good pro mountain biker. Okay. Um, and then he met Ricky Carmichael and the rest is history. You know, Carmichael went on to become the greatest of all time. And, and, um, but yeah, I mean, what they need, I mean, their heart rate is pegged, you know, it's 180, 190 beats for the whole moto. Um, they race in the summer on the outdoors, they race for two 40 minute motos in extreme, I mean, it could be hundred degrees and 90% humidity in Michigan, you know, in July. I mean, it can, it's, um, they're on a 230 pound machine with, you know, whatever 70 horsepower, whatever it has, um, and it's obviously it's extremely dangerous, but I mean, they, they train a lot. Like they kind of, when you use this word, like conjugate type training, they train a lot, like a pretty high level cyclist with a little bit of a gym rat. And then they do a bunch of motos on their dirt bike, you know? And like, um, it's now gotten so, I mean, the guys that do it, um, there's actually a guy named John Wesling who lives in Salt Lake, who coaches a few of them. And, um, you know, he came from Nordic skiing and grew up racing dirt bikes a little bit. And it's like, you, you, you schedule all of them. I mean, like they go to the track with like a focused practice plan, like what they're going to work on. Uh, you know, in the gym, it's like this fine line between like being strong enough to hold a machine and not gaining weight, because again, it's still kind of a power to weight ratio, except you're not pedaling, you have a machine. And then the cardiovascular, like fitness to be able to survive, you know, 80 to 90 minutes full tilt, you know, on a weekend day. And, and so, um, yeah, it is. I, I agree with you. I think the people that think that there's, it's, they're not athletes, they're nuts. I mean, there, there's a guy, um, Justin Brayton, who's won a few supercrosses. Like he'll ra- randomly jump into like elite level mountain bike races in North Carolina and be on the podium, you know. And yeah. there was another guy from the 80s and 90s named Johnny O'Mara, who was national champion multiple times. He he started racing mountain bikes after and turned pro within a few years and was racing as a pretty solid pro on a mountain bike. So um, yeah, it's it's um it is tricky. It's like you know, the parents there like they'll have a fast nine-year-old and be like oh he needs a personal trainer and he needs a factory bike and, he, and it's like maybe not at that level but yeah for those kids that want to step up to the next level like they they definitely need you know they work on it. and i worked with a guy named aj catanzaro i've helped this local um sort of vet pro here named andy matthew um and you know it's 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 it looks a lot like any normal person's training but like three days a week or four days a week they're on the moto and then they may do like a recovery spin on the, the mountain bike or the road bike later on or something like that but yeah, yeah. it's uh it's an interesting sport. It's yeah, it, I yeah, I guess I only I only pointed out to to speak to your versatility um, because I think you know a lot, and I don't know if we touched on even even the tip of the iceberg today, but um, uh, I'll certainly put in the in the show notes kind of how how folks could um, you know pick your brain further and and yeah, reach I out to you. But um, uh, yeah, you're you are certainly in my mind a Zen master and a, and and a, and a lifelong student. And I think that's what the sport needs. Like for, you know, we talk about races dying and the community is everywhere. And then you said at the beginning of the conversation, anywhere you go, that community is kind of there, but, and you can find it. Um, and you're very much in my mind, like, like if we don't have people like you who've been in the sport for a long time, helping to guide the ship and provide a rudder, um, mm-hmm. 
because race directing is a very thankless job. And so um, it, the community is really what's going to demand that races happen. And so uh, really has. Well, yeah. I think when I talked about this, like on the multi-sport side, especially on the road triathlon, I'm hoping that like COVID was a bit of a reckoning for the sport. Like, cause WTC had come in and just yeah. like smashed everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, Timmer, Timmerman's coming back, baby. <laughs> yeah. And, like I would, I mean, I would love to see some small local races. I see, I'd love I to see it. some alternative style events, you know, like I know it. I know it. Get the mountain bike, you know, but um, so yeah, like I'm hoping that this, you know, we had this year to kind of reset everyone, like went back to doing things they actually had fun doing, you yeah. know, holy shit. You realize that racing can be fun too. You know, like you don't uh, have to, yeah. like, you know, it doesn't have to be like a catered affair with, you know, yeah. like it's not just all about getting the tattoo, you know, it's yeah. about yeah. fun, epic hard events, you know? And yeah. so I'm hoping that reckoning comes soon too. So. Yeah, I think, I think it will. I think it will. And I think, I think people will demand more. I think they will be looking for an experience that offers more than, well, I just offers more, right? Like, like an athlete, you got Amber, who's snowshoe champion, Ironman champion. Like, like it did not put a, any, any hitch in her giddy up to like go do interesting things. So I really hope that leads to uh, 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 event directors and just the community kind of responding in a way that's meaningful, which is let's put on fun events that are challenging and they're not, you know, yeah. I think, I mean, sadly, I think the sports, a lot of sports probably lost a few participants, like people that were just like, Oh, I was going to do this race and it didn't happen. So I'm going to just go and do something else, you know, but uh, I think it was a small percentage, but I mean, I saw it a little bit both on my coaching roster, but also just like people I talked to that kind of just let themselves go. Um, yeah. You know, but, but yeah, I mean, the people that I'm mostly surrounded with is from like my circle of friends and like the athletes I coach, like we're just lifers, you know, we're just yeah. lifers at some level. And, and we may not be racing the big events or the huge events or the huge volume training or whatever, but like, we're going to go out there and like taste a little blood a few times a year, or as long as we can, you know, because that's what, you know, that gets up, up in the morning, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the world of you and I, I, uh, I appreciate everything you've done for endurance board and guiding athletes. I think it's, uh, freaking awesome. And because you're honest, I, uh, that's my last, my last word is that there's, there's plenty of, uh, like weekend certification, um, uh, certificates out there and, and, and then becoming a, a, you know, a mentor in the sport. But, uh, I don't think ever you've like honestly given me a compliment as one of your athletes you know it's like you've there's been there's been there's been very honest moments and i think uh uh i think that is that's part of the growth equation you know is like yeah i mean i, I still think like ultimately my job is to prepare people to do events and if they do really well at events like that's probably the best compliment i could give them or they can give themselves right is like to execute and and be fit enough to do it and i know it's a it's a bit of a weak i've tried to actually become a kinder gentler kurt over the last <laughs> Um, but it's, it's more just a matter of like, these are, these are hard sports. You know, we, I always, you know, another thing I love is like easy to work. You know, there's no, there's no easy way to get prepared for, you know, a, a, a 25 mile ski mountain race or 140 mile triathlon or, ultra, you know, like it's all hard. It's hard work. And it's like, you know, it's, uh, it, it can be bad. Cause sometimes I'm like, Oh, you did intervals on Wednesday. Like, great. We all do intervals on Wednesday. <laughs> That's what we do, you know, and so it's, uh, but I'm trying to be a little bit more um, appreciative of that. And, 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 and I think I've even changed too. like, again, like sport for life, you know, I love high performance sport and I think high performance sport, can, like eat its young, you know, and chew people out and spit them, you know, like, you know, I've been on calls and, and for NGBs where they're talking about like Olympic selection. They're like, our goal would be to have 10 candidates, two who make the team, even if the other eight are like, severely injured you know and, and you're just like your chin kind of hits the ground but you're like 
no, that's like, we're trying to win medals at world championships or Olympics. And like, so I don't have a lot of people on my roster and I've had on and off over years, but ultimately like, you know, like, can you go for a run when you're 40? Can you go for a mountain bike ride when you're 60? Can you, you know, can you pick up something heavy and, and, and move pretty well? And like, um, so yeah, like, I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's not a strong point of mine to be like the biggest kudos giver, but, um, I'm working on it fast. I'm working on it. Trust me. <laughs> Don't worry. We like me, after, after Saturday, I'm going to be like, so stoked for you. I'm going to be so jealous and just stoked after you just nail power of four. So <laughs> yeah, right. No, don't change a bit, man. We love you just where you are with the way you are. Um, uh, yeah, I'll put, I'll put some links in the show notes. Uh, man, cheers for the cheers for the chat. It's darn good. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I'm super stoked we caught up and uh, have fun this weekend and I hope the weather is epic and you have a smashing good time oh yeah there, there'll be some smashing for sure yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon